0: How about now? All right. Now I'm going to change things up a little bit today. Instead of reading the scripture right away, I'd like to ask all of you to help me with something. Now don't worry, it's nothing weird. Um, but I would like you to recite the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done The Lord's Prayer is one of the most popular prayers in the Bible and most repeated prayers in the world, but it's also one of the most misunderstood. Many churches recite it every Sunday, as we do, and many believers know it by heart. Perhaps we know it a little too well. Often what happens when something becomes familiar, it gets glossed over. After all, we've said it hundreds of times and don't need to think much about it. We end up saying it out of habit or obligation, and we may even find ourselves getting no meaning at all. Sometimes people will write the prayer as though the words have some power or influence with God. Now, don't get me wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with memorizing and praying the Lord's Prayer. But just know there is so much more to it that that we are meant to understand, much more than we might realize. We say that this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. Well, that's true. But do we know what Jesus was really trying to teach us with this prayer? If not, that's okay. I never honestly thought much about it, thought much about it either, at least not until recently. I finished a Bible study back in March called Prayers and Promises of the Bible, and chapter 9 was all about the Lord's Prayer. I was so drawn to this one chapter and it gave me an entirely new perspective on this prayer that I've heard, said, and read throughout my life. There is so much to this prayer that Jesus meant for us to learn, and it's not just about something we repeat from pages of the Bible. It goes much deeper. If you look through Scripture, you'll find two different references to Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer one in Matthew and one in Luke. You might wonder why they're worded a little differently. The reason for this is that these prayers were given at two different times to two different audiences. The first takes place during the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 6, and the second, in Luke 11, was a lesson to the disciples during their journey with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus chose to teach the crowds gathered there about prayer. But in Luke, the subject of prayer is raised by one of his disciples. The disciples knew that they should pray as they had seen Jesus do so many times, and they really wanted to do it the right way. So they approached Jesus and asked him about it. And he responded with what we now call the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure you've probably seen and heard many different versions of the Lord's Prayer due to various Bible translations, church denominations, and social influences. But today I'm going to talk about the versions given to us in the New International Version of the Bible, also known as the NIV. That's the translation printed in our Pew Bibles. Let me read these two passages for our scripture reading today. You may follow along in the Pew Bibles in Matthew 6, 9-13, on page 1504, and also in Luke 11, 1-4, page 1613. but deliver us from the evil one. And now from Luke. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray,' just as John taught his disciples." He said to them, "'When you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In both versions of the Lord's Prayer found in the Gospels, the wording is very similar, but not exactly the same. Jesus was trying to teach and the disciples, the same method of prayer. He used it as an example of what one of his prayers would look like. Jesus used this opportunity to demonstrate what types of things to include when they themselves were praying to God. And in both instances of him teaching the prayer recorded in the Gospels, the same concepts were presented in each. So what I'm saying here, Jesus isn't teaching exact words that we are to pray, but giving guidelines, so to speak, of things we should focus on in our prayers. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is not teaching his followers a specific prayer, but more of how to pray. So let's start at the beginning. Our Father. Jesus begins by telling us to address our prayers to God, which reminds us of our identity as children of God. Father is a personal term that shows us that God desires to have a deep, intimate relationship with us as a parent would with their child. Now, sometimes we don't have the best example of that kind of relationship with our earthly fathers. But God's love for us is one we can count on, It's perfect, consistent, and dependable. He is always present with us as a good Father. You'll notice too that Jesus starts off the prayer using our Father because he wants to point out that prayer is not just for us alone. We have an entire family of Christ that needs our prayers, and we should not focus on ourselves exclusively. Does this mean God doesn't want us to pray for our own needs? No. But we need to remember that we are not an only child when it comes to praying for God's family. Next, who are in heaven? God is our Father, and Jesus used this phrase to remind us of where we are going, to spend eternity in heaven with our Father. We are constantly tempted to focus on our short-term lives here in this world, and we forget that the rewards in heaven will be given to the faithful, those who stand firm, refusing to compromise, and resolving to love God with all their hearts. The biggest reward of all is waiting for us when we get to heaven with him. Hallowed be thy name. To pray, Hallowed be your name, is to remind us that God's name is holy and should be held sacred, and it's not something we should treat casually or misuse. We also have to remember that he is to be honored and given respect. He is set apart and deserves our praise and worship, not for what he's done. But simply because of who he is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of that verse found in Matthew about God's kingdom and his will on earth is not recorded in Luke, but it all ties into what Jesus was trying to teach. He was telling the disciples that God's kingdom will come to earth when the perfect will of God is done on earth, just as it is already done in heaven. God is not only our Father, but also the Creator and King over his kingdom, and his spiritual kingdom is being established right now in those who obey and have willing hearts. We are to put our own plans and desires aside and allow God to reign in our hearts as our King, and let him work his will through us. There is much work to be done in our broken world until his full kingdom is made complete when Christ returns. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus encouraged us to ask God for the things we need. We should never be afraid to approach him and ask for both the big and the small things. As our Heavenly Father, God loves to provide for his children. But if you notice, Jesus says that we should ask for our daily bread. Remember the story of the Israelites and God supplying supplying them with the manna when they tried to collect more than they needed so that they wouldn't have to do it every day, things didn't go well. We're in that same place. We're not supposed to try and gather tomorrow's bread because our manna is provided each day as needed. In other words, God wants us to ask for his provision on a daily basis. And not try to stock up for the future. God has shown that we can trust him to meet our daily needs. And he will never leave us lacking. And our daily bread, not only includes food for the body, but food for the soul. He gives us the opportunity each day to come to him and be filled spiritually with all he provides as we grow closer in our relationship with him. We can count on God to meet every need, both physical and spiritual, teach us how to be content in what he chooses to give us and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Debts, sins, trespasses all mean the same thing, as do debtors and all who sin or trespass against us. It's not a case of which words are right or wrong. Remember that Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to pray by a model and not exact words. The main idea of this part of the prayer is that forgiveness is leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a result of God's grace, his grace toward us when we sin against him, and our grace toward others when they sin against us. We're human and imperfect, and we will mess up as others do too. Just imagine the amount of sin in our lives that God has already forgiven us for and will continue to forgive. Think about this. What if he only forgave us to the extent that we forgive someone else? Honestly, we'd probably all be in trouble at some point. How can we justify not forgiving someone else When he has forgiven us for so much, we can't go to God and ask him to do for us what we won't do for others. That struck me, so let me say that one more time. We can't go to God and ask him to do for us what we won't do for others. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But that's what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Go to our Father and ask his help to show us the way to forgive others so the path is clear for his forgiveness to reach us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This part may be tricky for some to understand, as it was for me before my Bible study on the Lord's Prayer. God doesn't lead us into temptation, does he? Well, he isn't actually the one doing the tempting. That's the work of the enemy. But God will give us tests that allow us or lead us to situations where we could, and most likely will, be tempted. He will use these tests to show how we handle along the way. If we pass the test, that's good. That means we've relied on God and allowed him to walk us past the temptations brought by the enemy. If we fail the test, then temptation enters in, and that can lead us directly to sin. So, knowing the difference between tests and temptations gives us a better understanding of this verse. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he is telling the disciples to pray that through all of God's tests, that he does lead us to and into Don't let us be trapped by the enemy's tricks and temptations, and instead, lead us to the safe path where he will help us pass the test. If you look in Matthew, Jesus takes the prayer one step further. As well as keeping us from falling into temptation, we are to pray that God will completely deliver us from any evil in all its forms especially the enemy. We are not able to resist the enemy in our own strength and abilities. And this part of the prayer reminds us that God is there to stand with us when the temptations seem overwhelming. Now, if you're wondering about the line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, you might be interested to know that the traditional ending of the Lord's Prayer is not found in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. It is technically a type of doxology, which is something often said or sung at the end of prayers to praise and glorify God. We sing a doxology here in our services every week to give glory to God for all that he provides for us, and this part of the Lord's Prayer is basically the same idea. It's generally accepted that this last line is biblically based on a prayer of David to God in 1 Chronicles twenty nine eleven. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. What Jesus was trying to accomplish with the Lord's prayer was to invite his disciples into a deeper personal relationship with God through prayer, just as he is inviting us all these years later. The example that Jesus taught us is a reminder of the importance of prayer and how much God desires to talk with us. Prayer is an individual part of the unique relationship we each have with God, and we need to pray in the way God is leading each of us to pray. The significance of the Lord's Prayer is what it reminds us of and who and what it points to. Jesus was a man of prayer, and he wanted to present us with a model we could follow so that we would relate to God as he did. The prayer he gave was meant to be a guideline for the things we should consider, including in our own prayers, simply because these things are the things on God's own heart. God wants us to call him our Father. God's name is to be honored above all others. God wants to reign as king in our hearts and lives. God wants us to depend on him for everything each day. God alone can forgive sin and remove guilt. God alone protects us from temptation and the enemy. And God alone is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Amen.